morning in progress. I love that. I love that it talks to you. Hang on, <laughs> let me try again. I don't I think you were there for too long. I, you know, you just get like sucked into like TikTok. I was just watching like a, someone do like the Ross and Monica siblings routine and I looked up and went, oh shit, she's I know that I know that way too much. I, I always do like I will plan to get to the gym at say like 11, 11 30. I'll rock up at one. <laughs> only be, <laughs> only because I'm on TikTok. <laughs> I feel like I go through phases of TikTok where like I'm really into it and then I'm like okay I, I need I, we need to like put this like relationship on pause and then I come back and I'm like full in it again I'm like okay I need to stop again I feel like TikTok's that only platform that I can go like full deep in but then I have to like drop out at the same time people are so like people that aren't on it they're so against it too um my ex was like that and then I'd be like watch this video watch this video and he would crack himself up laughing I was like see like it's it's hilarious and you learn so much that's oh, true the amount, yeah the amount of like tricks and hacks that I've learned amazing I love the cleaning stuff yeah and the cooking stuff like the cooking videos there's one guy if I find him like if he pops up again because I I can't remember people by name I just Thanks. I follow people I find them funny or interesting and then I forget about them um <laughs> But I, if I find him, I'll, I'll, I'll share it with you. He does all these like chopping and stuff in sync, so it's like a beat. So it'll be like, oh, yeah, love it, love it. Well, my feed is basically dogs, dogs, a little bit of like bodybuilding, obviously, and then I get the cleaning stuff, and then I get random. I, I follow nothing with the bodybuilding like literally nothing but yeah it was funny when you like you messaged me about the time zone and stuff I thought oh god I, I feel like 2023 is going to be the year that I actually get my shit to go with these time zones because there's been so many like podcast episodes that like never happened because I just didn't get the time zone wrong and they thought I was like like ghosting them I'm like no I don't know the time zone and then they just like never got back to me and I was like oh great this is fun <laughs> that's like um I'll ask if, if someone books in a consult and because I only get their time because it's like through Google Meet, I only get their time in my time. But if like I need to change it, I'll be like, hey, can we push it back like half an hour? I don't know what time that is for you. But originally it was 9 a.m. my time. Can we do 9.30? Most likely because I've wasted the time on TikTok. But <laughs> and then and then they're like, do you mean back as in like back or like back? You know, like eight thirty or nine thirty. <laughs> I had to I screenshot. Know. Mate, I had to screenshot it too, didn't I? I was just like, I can't do this. I literally can't do this. Did you know? <laughs> yeah. The only other person that has come on my podcast ever in like the five years I've done this to talk about this topic is my husband. Oh, PDs. Yeah, no one else. I thought you were talking literally. about time zones, and I was like, <laughs> surely someone's talking about time zones before. <laughs> like literally, for me, I'm like so. I guess I'm so like anal and so worried about like the wrong information going out. So I've always been like, unless it's, if it's something related to this stuff, I've always kind of, it sounds bad, I've always gone, Joe, what, like this person, he's like, no, this person, no, this person, no. And I was like, Darian, she, he was like, yes. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think that's probably because like I get most of my stuff from Joe, but if you're going to have anyone on, have Joe. Yeah, true. I'm tr- do you know what? We live yeah. together. We're trying to get here on a podcast is like mission impossible. It's just like hilarious. Everyone's like, yeah, but you live in the same house. I'm like, yeah, it makes no difference, mate. 
No difference. <laughs> do you guys, because I know that you've got your dog and then he's, oh, do you have two and then he's got one or is it the other so way around? We've got three at the, now at the moment we've got three in total. I'd say like one of them is like, they're still all of ours, but like one is kind of like Joe's, his dad got that German Shepherd. And then I've got Hunter and Lyra that are kind of like our pets that we just like train for fun. Um, so yeah, that one's like one's a Rotty and one's a Staffy. So yeah. When you when you sent me that voice message and you're walking your dog, I was wondering, do you guys walk your dogs together? Nah. Is that like a nah, okay? Like we could, to be fair, we could, but like for me, I always find he gets up so early and I'm like, nah. Like I'm no. trying to get Hunter out of bed. Even Hunter's like looks up, sees Joe leaving, and then just cuddles back into me. So like our like schedules are so different. So we just kind of like I just do my own thing with walking because like, I don't actually have my dogs. Hunter and Lyra not on in like a routine routine with walking because I found that like with how busy and how like crazy some days can be. If you've got a dog so locked into a routine and you can't do that routine that day, that really stresses them out. Whereas like they don't know whether they're going to get walked or fed or like played with or sleep or whatever it is. And it kind of, it keeps them on their toes, but it also means for me, I'm not got a dog like expecting something going, do you know what I mean? Like they're annoying you being like, oi, oi, come on, come on, come on. Like if you have, for me, I found like that was more stressful. So I literally walk them like completely different times all the time. I found because I when I was living with my ex, we had three dogs and we would plan to go for walks together, but I find it more stressful just because like the dogs naturally want to compete with each other. And I was like, this is just too much. It's a no. It's a no. But yeah, they're currently chilling for how long? I don't know, but listeners are used to listening to my dogs just making havoc backstage. Backstage. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking to you. <laughs> um, so I want to go in, well, you've actually put some interesting topics here. Um, and just like as an overview, we've, well, Darian, I'm not going to take any credit for this. Darian put, drug choices for females, risks, making a decision, what makes PEDs an acceptable choice and where coaches gone wrong. So I think let's start with making a decision because I think that's kind of like the start of this. So it might be helpful talking about like how you kind of got into this field because it's through your own personal experience, which is kind of wasn't really related to bodybuilding and such, was it? Well, I'm correct with that. No, yeah, no, you're correct. So I suffered with an eating disorder pretty much a majority of my life up to date. Um, so when I had restored my weight, I noticed that I still just wasn't feeling great. Um, and I was actually oblivious to kind of like the hormonal aspect of it. I knew some stuff, but I, I wasn't really aware of what was going on. Um, and then I ended up getting a bunch of bloods done and everything was just tamed. I, it got to the point where like my uh, estrogen and testosterone were literally undetectable. It, it would show the blood work of someone who hadn't hit menopause yet. Oh, sorry, hadn't hit puberty yet. I never um, heard of that where like it's not even detectable. Yeah, well, like essentially, like because because there's a reference range and it kind of just says like below, it was just below everything. It was like less than what it should have been, um, on on every kind of reference scale. And then uh, I went to go see an endocrinologist. Like, oh, I went to like my GP, got the bloods down, blah blah blah. He referred me onto an endocrinologist, and they wanted to put me straight onto estrogen and progesterone. And I had some kind of level of understanding that 
like uh, testosterone is a parent hormone to estrogen. I don't really feel like, and I had previously been on the pill as well. Mm. And so I kind of knew the replications of that from a hormonal aspect. And I was like, I don't want to just go and chuck in estrogen and progesterone. And I push back and push back and push back. Um, and then I, I was hoping to get prescribed testosterone. So it, it was a, it was a little bit of, I guess, stubbornness from me that I didn't want to listen to what they had to say. I just wanted to find someone to give me what I wanted so that I didn't have to go underground with it. Um, and then I hooked up a consult with Joe and he, he suggested TRT. Um, and so from there, that's how that all kind of transpired. So we started off with a low dose of TRT. Um, and then we scaled that up just based on my physiological needs. And then from there, um, I ran that for probably about a year. I did my first show. And then after my show, I recognized that my hormones were, my estrogen progesterone still wasn't functioning where it should have been. So right now I'm on all three. I've got a whole pharmacy going on over here. So what was, so we kind of go back well, why have I just not my bin, which I've never completely forgot I have a bin underneath there. Anyway, um, let's go back to like, why was it, why was it that you kind of pushed back on the doctors and why was it testosterone? Because like, for me, I think I'm very blessed that I kind of have a brain downstairs um, that I just kind of, be, I don't realise I've actually listened to what he says until I regurgitate it. And Joe's like, no, not Joe. People say to me, how, where do you find that? I'm like, Probably just listen to Joe halfway through. But for someone that like doesn't know anything or even has like a coach that doesn't know a lot or even, you know, just anyone listening to this, they won't have that kind of like baseline like probably me and you have because of um, that guy called Joe. So why was it that you decided that testosterone was going to be the thing that you wanted to kind of like explore or do first because obviously there's so many different like hormones you can kind of choose you can kind of like choose from all of them technically if you wanted to so why was it for you that you thought you know what I'm gonna give this testosterone like a go um I think it was more so uh just because of my experience on the pill and kind of being fearful putting estrogen and progesterone back in um in a synthetic form or an exogenous form um, so that was part of it. And then looking, I was actually working with Nick Golf at the time for my training. Um, and I got three, I got into him through the pre-script team. Um, and then I spoke to him briefly about it. And he was, he was very honest. He said that he didn't really know much about it. Um, but he suggested that I reach out to Joe. And I listened to a podcast with Joe and Luke Miller. And it kind of got, it got brought up on that podcast. And that's sort of like when I, I dived into it deeper and I, I started looking more into like the female reproductive system and looking like, where does estrogen come from? And we know, like I said before, like testosterone is a parent hormone. And so that's converted into estrogen from the aromatase enzyme. Um, and so I was like, okay, so if I replace my natural testosterone levels, I will get some benefits from an estrogen progesterone perspective anyway. Um, so that that was kind of like the basis of just starting there and then seeing where my levels kind of ended up. Um, I I was just really unaware. And this is sort of like where I seek the help with Joe was like, I didn't know what dosages to start at or anything like that, um, especially being underground, bless you um we get uh you know it's dosed at 200 to 250 milligrams per mil and 
there's no way that a female can accurately draw out the amount that she needs out of that total dosage. So with a female, we're looking at about three milligrams as a starting point, and that might go up to five milligrams. It might go all the way up to 10 milligrams, just depending on how androgen sensitive they are. Um, but we scale that up based on blood work. But I think that I lost track of your question, but I think that answered it. No, it that's definitely cool. answered something. So that the main thing like to kind of pull from that, and I think when I when I was at uni, I didn't do anything in terms of like the hormone side, nothing sciencey, but we we studied a lot about like the cultural significance of things. And I did a massive piece about how muscle is a very, it's actually, it hasn't got a gender. Sex and gender, two different things. It hasn't got a gender. It's muscle. Whereas society has basically put muscle as like a cultural gender thing. It's like basically like a more masculine thing. And I think with testosterone, where I've kind of, from like my analytical head comes in, I think where there's been a little bit of like, and not anti-testosterone, but you kind of get people slamming down. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you get that, but I think as testosterone, we associate it from a cultural perspective with a male masculine like aura. I think that's where there's probably like this bit of like resistance. And even the thing that kind of clocked for me was when, because um, I said to Jeff, I was like, who's, I said, why would I want to take testosterone? Why would anyone want to take testosterone? And I was really like going at it with it. And he was, and he said, and you've just mentioned it there. And I think it's important to notice. It's like, what a male, for example, might need 250 milligrams. Yeah. As an example dose. How many are you on, for example, if you don't mind me asking? Um, I'm on six milligrams a week. Six. Some people, I think yeah. some people start like free and stuff like you mentioned. So you know, that massive difference between three milligrams and 250 milligrams, that's huge. But I think that's where... I've noticed a real interesting, I find bodybuilding fascinating from like that cultural perspective because there's still like ethics and cultural kind of associations put onto different drugs because of there seem to be a masculine thing or seem to be like a feminine thing. And it's just like, no, like all of these drugs, like again, they have no gender, like they are just the drug, whereas like it's what we put onto mm-hmm. it as an association. Yeah, and when we look at the total androgen load, like females are so easy to kind of like it's it's very easy to convince a female to take anova. And say with the anova dosage, that might be like 10 milligrams a day or something. That's 70 milligrams across a week. And it's kind of the rationale of you being so hesitant to use three milligrams of testosterone to get you to physiological ranges, but you're happy to take 20 milligrams of an exogenous androgen, like a, a they need to kind of comprehend that. But there is this huge stigma around I'm putting testosterone into my body. And I feel like because Joe's mentioned like kind of the pushback from his females, like trying to convince them that that's a safe route to go. But when I jump on a call with a female and I say, look, I've been doing this for the past two years and I feel better than I ever did before. Um, and this is like I can show you my blood work and I can show you how it's improved. And I, I haven't had any virilization side effects from this. Um, and then, you know, they, they kind of ask like, what are the side effects? And it's like, there is no, there's no side effects as long as we keep you within physiological ranges. Yeah. Even if you kind of like a different like example. So, um, a friend of mine who used to compete actually Adele Johnston, she's called the menopause coach on Instagram. She's like really cool within the menopause space. And I went to a menopause talk. 
And I found it fascinating, right? It was this woman called Davina McCall, who's like, basically, she was like my goal when I was a kid. She was like amazing. But she's basically gone into the menopause space. And it was like these, you know, I was probably way the youngest one there. Probably Adele was second to be the youngest. But most of these women were like 40, 50 years old, talking about testosterone, the patch, like all these different hormones. And I sat there and I was like, oh my God, like, this is again a different example of how different like cultural groups are talking about the same thing. Whereas with them, it's kind of like they I think that they're starting to kind of do a lot more like education work in it. But I find it fascinating how the menopause space talks about the same drugs which bodybuilders do, which other industries do that I'm not really like aware of. And it's like it's so fascinating how like these 14, 50 year old women are sitting there talking about like testosterone and this and I'm sitting there thinking do you know what at least a good five years ago you guys would have been so anti so so anti but it's when the females yeah. are kind of going into that what they think is a, like a masculine space talking about it and applying it to them it's just interesting to see the cultural shift in that yeah definitely um I think though like uh, to answer sort of the question about like why why someone might grow like that was my reasoning for kind of introducing PEDs um and then from there I was sort of like well I can't compete naturally now anyway so I might as well use exogenous androgens in a safe manner um but I think for someone who sort of like doesn't have that kind of clinical uh, background or like where they need to implement some kind of TRT or you know not necessarily like there's a there's a warning sign of hypogonadalism or something like that I think like it's going to come largely down to that person's goal mm-hmm. and their own individual risk to reward ratio and then of course genetics but unfortunately we're kind of at this point of if you want to compete highly in this sport it's going to be, it's, we're getting further and further from the, the possibility of being able to do so naturally. Um, and, and we're looking at repetitively, uh, like repetitively having our body in this stress state. It's going to be healthier from a hormonal perspective to have some kind of hormone replacement therapy in place than to continually try and restore your natural production of hormones only to shut them back down again. Did you mention hypogonad? I can't say that word. Hypogonadal. Actually, I don't even know. I know it's hypogonadal, but I think like when you put it, I think it's hypogonadal. Hypo. So what is that? Because <laughs> like Joe says it, I'm like, yeah, yeah, but I ain't got a fucking clue what you're saying. So can you please explain what that is, please? Uh, so it's just it's just when your body doesn't produce enough hormones for it to function optimally. Yeah, I knew that. Obviously, Duh. yeah, it's yeah, but it's a fancy way to say it that makes you sound smarter. <laughs> I'll just edit this whole bit out, and I'll be like, "Yeah, I know what that is." Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then and then I think it comes down to like the general questions of like, are they able to nail the basics of nutrition, training, uh, stress management, and things like that? Like PEDs are what they're called, they're performance enhancing drugs, or you know, in our in our case, physique enhancement drugs and they're they're there for that purpose they're not there to kind of uh bring about results that when when the you know the the basics aren't in play if you don't have the basics of training nutrition and things like that then there is no there, there won't be a discussion about peds um but yeah and then i think just like you know being aware of 
um, the side effects, what the drugs do, and then having a plan in place long term to restore restore your health or health management in general. Mm. It's interesting you mentioned about like the pros and stuff because there, I think you know there are there are some people I'd say like five percent people that are genetic freaks. <laughs> They are genetic yes. freaks and they they can get to the, you know, especially in the bikini category, they can get to the Olympia natural. They can do well natural, but they are like very, what I've found anyway, is they are very much like the just, they were just men, basically born to do bodybuilding. And what, what as well, what's interesting is like Joe always mentions about like filling the cup and stuff. And there's a lot of people that are even natural because they're just genetically that good or they don't have to take half as much as what other people do who are still like trying to get their pro card for example and it, as you mentioned like it all comes down to like genetics and stuff and it's always interesting when you hear when I hear kind of like what some pros are taking or even not taking and people also assume that some of the pros are like, oh they must be on loads of stuff and actually there are some people like isn't it like Chris Sebum everyone thinks he's on like this crazy amount of stuff when actually yes he still uses PEDs but not to the lengths that everyone thinks he does because he's just genetically there um yeah yeah and then um the people that you see at top on the Olympia stage their bodies are very resilient so these are females that are able to kind of keep a reproductive system up to the later stages of prep. And we kind of see that in their, um, uh, that's that's how they can get to where they get to. That's why they can compete so repetitively uh, multiple times a year because their bodies are just resilient, whereas not everyone's that genetically gifted. Yeah, that's true. Um, next thing we mentioned actually is risks. Should we go into that a little bit? Do you, like, what risks would you say? I guess there is a risk of, like, dosing it wrong, would you say? Because if you misdiagnose it wrong, then you kind of are throwing yourself potentially into, like, a different, like, kettle of fish. Yeah, so that's that's more to do with, like, the testosterone because that will be something that we generally run in indefinitely. Um, The only time that we might lower the dose of testosterone is when we're introducing another exogenous hormone and we have more, uh, you know, total androgen cycling within the hormonal system that you might see a little bit of, a, um, I guess, the total androgen load is just a little bit too high, that then you might lower the testosterone a little bit. Or maybe towards the later stages of prep, or, you know, just because for some estrogen modulation and things like that and to prevent water retention, we might draw it back. Um but largely with females, the biggest risk come from duration of exposure to these superphysiological ranges as opposed to the total amount of androgen. Mm-hmm. So physiological is your natural production of hormones. Superphysiological is anything that brings you above that. Now, superphysiological is a higher dose or a higher duration. Um, it's going to get better results, but with better results come greater risks, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, so uh, it's this, this sustained use is sort of the anchor point of which all protocols and recommendations of coaches for both females and males should be made. Um, so this is like where it's super important for coaches to be mapping out a complete timeline for their clients, not just male, but in particular female, making sure that there is enough time off between these super physiological ranges of exposure 
um, so that we don't run into virilization side effects. So I, I think Joe, Joe explains this really well where he kind of says like, although you might not see side effects in your first cycle, you need to understand that you're building up your androgen load over time. And then some of these side effects that we do see in terms of virilization and the shutdown of a female's reproductive system, are re some of them are irreversible, um, which is scary to think. So um, an important thing to know is like females are very androgen sensitive in nature, which just means that they aren't able to utilize androgens to the same extent as a male can. Um, so during PrEP, when the risk is generally higher, um, the duration of androgen use might be a little bit longer. And in an off-season when energy availability and recovery capacities are much higher, we may be more opportunistic in our approach and kind of use these androgens in a more cyclic fashion. Um, but as far as like the, the most visible risk, I guess, is a, is a good way to say it. Um, it's like the growth of an Adam's apple, facial hair, growth of pubic hair, um, enlargement of facial features, um, enlarging of the clitoris. Now that might come down with the deceleration in drug usage, but sometimes it doesn't come down as much. Um, and that can be extremely uncomfortable for a female. Um, deepening of the voice, and that's just simply like the space between the tubes of the larynx actually grows. Um, endogenic alopecia, which is hair loss, and that's generally seen within a high-stress environment, a.k.a. PrEP, um, and endogenic-orientated acne. Um, so like I said, like some of these are irreversible. And then I guess the most concerning side effect, which is one that isn't so obvious because it's not visible, is uh, the decline in the female reproductive system. Does it affect your organs? Uh, yeah, so it's a certain drugs will, um, more so than others, particularly being Anavar. Like Anavar is an unme unmethylated compound, which means that it's pretty it's metabolized by the liver. And so because we are impacting the liver to an extent, we take away from its ability to actually do its job, um, which is, you know, the other conversation around females is, hey, I'm going to tell you to pin yourself, and a lot of them don't want to. Yeah. I think I do hear that, like, I remember there was one um, show I was backstage at. What was I doing there? Was I? I was trying to think, was I judging or turning? I can't remember which one I was. I was there. Anyway, I was backstage somehow at this, <laughs> this one show. And um, it was so weird that everyone was just, like, it was. they were just talking about Adivar as if it was just, like, candy. They're like, oh, yeah, I used it. Yeah, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just here to be like, ah. Like, it was just so weird to hear, like, that conversation how blase people would like just talking about it and like for me yeah. like joe's always said look don't like out of should be like the last fucking like one of the last ones that you even look at but then it just seems to be i think with bodybuilding sometimes it's like chinese whispers like i remember when i first came into the industry it was still like the thing with like shoes there was like certain like hearsay things that kind of get trickled down over the years from just some random person and then it's it takes years to get it out so like for a real example compact gala 08 was like the popular shoe like no platform all this shit or even gala 01 like strapless heel and i kept saying to people it's better to it's better to pose with a platform it's better to pose with a platform it, it took ages to get that 
through. And then once it came through, okay, now like Galaro one, Galaro eight, it's like not as popular and like other heels are now. But like, it's so true with like the Anavar discussion with females. It's like, how many years is it going to take for people to just stop like, looking at Anavar, it's just like, it's just another paracetamol tablet. It's like, it's not like, it's not the easy option. It's not the safe option. Like, I guess there's no, with PEDs as such, like there's, it's hard, it's really hard when you kind of put the word safe with PEDs in itself. But like, yeah, it was very strange when then everyone was just like talking about Anavar, if it's, and they're like, oh yeah, it's, it's it, you can just take it as a pill. It's well easy. I'm like, oh my God. I was just sitting there like, don't say anything, just don't say anything. It's very much known as like the female drug of choice, which to in some individuals I agree with, but for the most part, it's going to be a hard no. Yeah. The one other thing that Joe's always said to me as well is whenever I've like overheard his consults, it's like you, especially with females, it's like use what is I don't want to, I'm going to butcher what he says now. What is it? Use all the, I'm going to sound like Joe. You ready? So, uh, what would you? What would I? What would he say? Right, he would say use all the non-androgen something. Androgenic You know which one? I knew what I'm yeah. trying to say. Oh damn it! The non use all the pathways that aren't androgenic first. Yes. God, I yeah. So we we can go into that next, like sort of like what drug choices we females should use. I've got a warning here saying that there's a remaining meeting time of ten minutes. Do I ignore that? Yeah, basically just jump in and back, jump back out, and then Holly goes at this bit. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so when we're looking at what drugs can female use, we kind of have, well, we have three quarter categories. So we've got the uh, androgenic, which is going to work on the androgen receptor. We have the non-androgenic, and this is going to be like your lipolytic, um, which is going to be driving fat loss and fatty acid oxidization. And we have your ancillaries, which is going to be your health medication for the simplest term. Now, we only use drugs that are tested in human clinical use. Um, and these trials have been done to treat conditions such as like cancer research um, in endocrinology and brand victims. So when we look at kind of the androgenic compounds, and these are kind of the ones that we would onboard for females, we've got the testosterone. Um, which we like, as we said before, will generally be um, between three and ten milligrams. And we know this based on like when else will we see heightened androgens in a female and PCOS. Ah. So we know the studies on PCOS. We know that if we have if that females testosterone levels go above this amount, they start seeing side effects or unfavorable results which is going to be a pcos so um and this is just to optimize someone's natural levels of testosterone and it's incredibly important for females to have um a physiological level of testosterone in their body as i said before it's the acting parent hormone so testosterone is converted into estrogen by the enzyme aromatase um, and you can use this for the longevity of your competitive career um, then we've got primobolin, which is a DHT derivative, and primoselectivity is sort of what allows it to be used within a certain situation. Um, when cycling on and off, uh, we are going to see less estrogen modulation than what we would in comparison to something like a mastron, which is another DHT derivative, um, and another choice for females. 
And then we've got ANOVA. And as I said before, it's unmethylated, meaning that it's metabolized in the liver um, and resulting in damage to the liver and breaking down its ability to do its job. And then when we look into like the non-endogenic compounds, so we've got our fat loss agents, which is going to be like your T3, your T4, and your clenbuterol. Um, we've got GH, which is incredibly important in females. And it's what we call sexually dimorphic. So it works differently in males to females. So females are going to see more benefit from a fat loss perspective, whereas males are going to see more of that benefit from a hypertrophy perspective. Um, and insulin is another really good one that's going to bring about really appreciable results in a female. Um, and it's non-endogenic. And then we've got our ancillaries. So that's going to be stuff like our metformin, which improves pancreatic output and nutrient partitioning and improvements in overall health and talmasatin. Um, so we would kind of deploy these drugs, as you mentioned before, from least aggressive, which would be like your ancillaries and your non-endogenic compounds to your most assertive bases. Um, so the non-endogenic and the ancillary compounds will bring about very appreciable results in a female because they are so androgen sensitive. And so these will be the first exposure element. And if we um, what essentially we're doing is we're allowing an environment that allows for better recovery to drive tr better training performance, improve health outcomes, improve nutrient partitioning, which is going to give us a rather good advantage with very little risk. And then with the long-term, as we spoke before, like the long-term um, replacement therapeutic doses, dosages, uh, dosages, <laughs> um, this will be based on how frequently a female is wanting to compete. So like a, generally when I say to a female, look, we're going to start testosterone, she'll say, how long do I need to be on this for? And then the conversation is, how long are you wanting to compete for? Because if you're willing to take time away from stage and you're willing to put on the necessary body fat take the time away from training, take yourself out of that stressful environment so that you can repair your natural production of hormones, then we can do this naturally. However, if you're wanting to continually compete, go through this dieting process, continue to train at the capacity that you're training at, then it's going to be safer to introduce some kind of hormone replacement therapy. Yeah, can you see a couple of people by... It sounds weird. I can I can normally spot a natural by just this one thing. They do their one, they do the first season, breeze, absolute breeze, amazing. And then say, for example, they finish their diet October. They try and go again next year, whether it's they compete in May or they compete in October. It always seems to be a struggle that next, their first prep is a lot easier. Their second prep always tends to be like, a lot harder and I can always kind of sense that like someone that's like who is still natural because you can see that that massive shift in their hormones and how much harder they actually are having to kind of push and dig and whatever else um and also what happens sometimes from a post-show perspective how much they struggle from that side um mm. I always find that's quite interesting the next thing I put on here um because you mentioned it. Oh, my God. My typo is hilarious. So it actually says at the moment, reference ranges in blood worm. But obviously, I'm meaning blood work here. Um, so you mentioned about reference ranges. And a lot of people kind of, you know, they'll listen to this and go, right, I'm going to get my blood work done. I'm going to see where my hormones are. And I think that's whether you're natural or enhanced, like that's something that you should just be doing is like, like a just a non-negotiable, to be honest. Um, but then it's like, you know, when those blood result, results come back, 
for example, we've got like Medichex here in the UK and you've got these reference ranges. I think that's quite hard for someone to read. And then when you've got like Medichex, like, or even the doctor's giving you a reference range, like say for example, reference range between like three and six, your reference, you might be at 3.1 and you're still classed as normal, whereas that still might be quite low. So I don't know if you want to go into kind of like the reference range aside in blood work, it's important and also like what to kind of, I guess like no one's going to be able to like know how to read blood work from what you answer, but just that awareness. And then when they kind of take it away, they kind of show me that, I guess that level, yeah, that level of awareness, I think is quite important to note. Because for me, I remember yeah. the a doctor's gone, oh you're you're fine like you're normal and joe's guys ask him to print out your blood work <laughs> and it's yeah. like i always say that to clients like i'm like it's it will be cheaper if you go through the gp because we have healthcare covered here but i'm also like but then you have to ask them you have to go in for another consultation to get the blood work they tell you that everything's fine then you have to ask for a copy i'm going to tell you that everything's not fine do you know what i, um, as well? I remember like one time um I asked, oh, can you test for this, 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 this? They're like, why do you want to test for that? No, and I was like, I yeah. am having, I can't believe I'm having to barter fucking everything in this blood work. And the next time Joe went in, you, you know, you can imagine what Joe was like. He was just like, he's just getting everything done. And it's just stupid because all it takes for them is just a tick. Like all they need to do is a tick. Whereas like, I found like I gave up from the first time going to the doctors and thought, no, screw this. If I ever want to get blood done, I'm just having to pay. And it's frustrating because you know, you don't, you know, you pay your taxes and whatever, and you, some people are going to be kind of short for cash, but it's like, it is, it was so much hassle, unless you've got a good GP relationship, for me, I found you've just got no chance of, like, getting everything, all the, all the, like, panels done, I don't know if that was the same with you. Yeah, I always go in, I always go in there, and I'm like, you know, preventative help is a thing, like, I kind of want to make sure that shit's not going wrong before it goes wrong, yeah. Um, but, when we look at kind of the reference ranges so uh, I'm guessing you're talking more about like that testosterone where we kind of want to see it sitting we want to see him sitting about 60 to 90 milligrams per deciliter um so generally what we do is like when we dose that three milligrams of testosterone we see where that brings that female up to if it's still not bringing her within that range then we will slowly increase it and the benefit of doing this too which I didn't touch on before is that we are able to see someone's sensitivity to an androgen. So let's just say that we have a female and we put her on three milligrams a week of testosterone. I feel I should say a week. It's not three milligrams a day. It's three milligrams a week. Yeah. Um, if we have her on three milligrams of testosterone, and let's say that brings her up to 80, then we know that she's a rather androgen sensitive female, that when it comes to to introducing something like a DHT derivative, we're going to have to be more cautious about our dosing because she is likely to experience those side effects. She is side effects. She is at a high risk of those. Um, and then we would look at the uh, estrogen to progesterone ratio, and this is going to be dependent on what phase they're in in their cycle. And we know that like with a female, it's not the 28-day cycle that everyone thinks it is. It does fluctuate. So it's about learning about when her cycle is. And depending on what phase we're in, we either want that be a 10 to 1 or a 3 to 1. But to, um, touching on the reference ranges as well, when we look at the reference ranges, that's based on the general population. And we know that the general population isn't healthy. So they're nothing to go by. And generally what we say is like, how are you feeling? And an important thing to notice about the blood work too 
is that when you get those blood markers back, generally they're listed in what's going to kill you if it's low, as opposed to, you know, least kind of health, I guess, detrimental. And that's why we usually see hormones at the bottom of the list. And that's just because although your hormones are tanks, you're not going to die from it. You're just going to feel like shit. Whereas, you know, some of the things like if your liver enzymes are way, 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 way escalated, then that could be a really early warning sign that something needs to be addressed um, yeah, in kidney yeah. function and things like that as well. Yeah. No, I learned that off. Um, who did I learn that off? Uh, what's his name? Joe? <laughs> Joe. Uh, I can't even remember his name now. That's so bad. I just went to a seminar with him. I'm so bad at names. When I think of it, I will I will publicly say it. Um, he's a short. He he gets a. I don't think I don't know if Joe likes him. Um, but he's a short guy, <laughs> and he's a power lifter. Um, and he's just super aggressive all the time. I've wondered Joe was listening, and he wasn't. He's just gone tall and gone back. <laughs> yeah, short. Do you know a short? Well, it's short powerlifting man. He's quite aggressive. Roderick? Yes. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. See, perfect explanation of his character. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, he taught me that. But something that I wanted to go back to and touch on just before our, our last Zoom ended was about you kind of saying that, like, when you see a natural competitor and they do fine in their first show and then they struggle with the rebound and they're unable to kind of diet again or to the, you know, with the same ease of dieting as they previous did. And what we need to understand that if you just sustain a diet for long enough, naturally there is a slow declination, I think is the word, in your natural hormone production. So, for example, with thyroid, thyroid is regulating the use of food for energy. If we're deprived of food for long enough, your body will downregulate its natural thyroid production. And in prep, we are slowly lowering our energy availability and increasing output likely higher than it's ever been before. So the body must manage something by lowering your sexual hormonal production, by lowering your, um, sorry, lowering your sexual function, lowering your hormonal function, lowering your thyroid function or your thyroid output. And that's where the conversation comes like, okay, well, are we going to then after show, are we going to take enough time off to replenish this back to your natural state? Or are you planning on doing another show in six months that is probably going to be better for us to introduce some kind of therapeutic dose to offer some support here and get your body functioning optimally? Um, and we understand hormones at a level that we can deploy drugs to replace and manage this output through exogenous means. Um, understanding that if we use more, we get more. And this is when we start going into those super physiological ranges to drive more fat loss or greater adaptation, whatever it may be. And in general, however, when we're using more, the risks are also greater. Yeah, I think that is a question as well that people kind of have. It's like, you know, when I come off everything, what what's going to be left? Like, how, is the body going to bounce back? Will it bounce back? Because I've, I've heard stories where, you know, someone's bounced back, absolutely fine. It's taken them about a year, but then after that, Bodies resumes normal. Got nothing, like you know, no PEDs, no thyroid metric, like the whole thing. I hear some people that are like, "Nah, body did not bounce. I'm having to stay on this, whether it's like thyroid medication or P, you know, whatever it is, they're having to stay on something for the rest of their lives." Um, 
have you found that as well with like the clients that you work with or just generally yeah so that comes down to like that individual's resilience as I spoke about before and it generally tends to be the people that we see top of the game the bodies are just more resilient to this high level of stress um, and not in the stance that like mentally they can just put up with it. It comes down to your genetics and how well you can handle your body can function optimally under that degree of stress. Um, but as you were kind of saying, like say thyroid, for example, if a, if a female is going to come out of show, I would probably still pull her thyroid out. However, then we will add in supplementation so that we don't continue to suppress her natural level of thyroid production but it would be about having supplementation in play there so that she's got the vitamins and minerals to help support thyroid production. Like what? What would support thyroid production? As to things like iodine, ashwagandha, zinc, um, they're, they're all selenium. Um, they're, they're pretty good. Uh, sorry, pretty important players in thyroid production of thyroid health. So the last thing we've got here is where coaches go wrong so we're not trying to like bash every coach on the planet however there are some shit coaches let's be honest but there's shit there's shit in every industry so in relation to this topic that we've spoken about where do you think coaches are potentially going wrong or basically being given a disservice to competitors so i think um lack of education in what they are doing is probably the most prevalent one. So like one plan doesn't fit every individual. I know coaches that really just give girls anabar. And without having an understanding of female physiology, it, it's vital in allowing us to properly serve our cohort of clients. So if you can't understand the female reproductive system to, to the level of degree that you need to, to be able to confidently prescribe drugs and know what they do, then you, you have no place doing that. And that's not to say that like if this client still wants to continue working with you and you have some kind of understanding, you feel free to reach out, tell them that you don't know, but you're going to put them onto someone, say whether that be Joe, say someone that be like me or that there's so many other coaches in this space that understand this to, to the level that we do that if, say that you're going to hook them up with a consult with them and they can walk you through it. Um, your client will appreciate that much more then you just guessing. Then I think um, if your coach can't tell you what does that drug do, why are they taking it, the risk and the long-term plan to manage their health, then they are not doing their due diligence in creating that safer use model for that client. And then I think the other thing to like look out for is if your coach isn't asking you about your current health status, for example, if you're on birth control, then run. If they tell you that Anabar oh, isn't an intrusion, then run. <laughs> it's true though. It is true. Mm. I think it's easy. It, yeah, I think a lot of people can do the basics with like coaching. They can, you know, eat less calories, move a bit more. But then it's like it's when you get into those stumbling blocks where things are getting a bit tough, or you know, there is something that's kind of popping up. That's where I think the, the coach will shine through or not. And it's one of those that a lot of the things that a lot of girls I know struggle with. I'm like, mm, if your coach would have done it, done their due diligence at the beginning, you probably wouldn't be in this situation now that you're in, that you're having to pick up the pieces. Like it, it's, it's harsh, but it is, it is true. Um, I think some coaches get quite defensive. Like they don't want to be seen as like they don't know everything. 
And like, I would definitely encourage anyone if they are getting like a bit of resistance. It's like, obviously there's, there's the physique collective like app, there's the form you can ask everything obviously with Darren on there as well. But even that is like booking a consult with someone like yourself or Joe. And it's like, just do your own like research on it. Cause I like, I think there's a balance between like a coach client relationship where you, you're not like the case that you're like a yes person, but like you, you know, you've hired that coach for a reason. So you can kind of switch off to some of the decision-making processes and just go ahead and do it. But there is that kind of that element within the client where you think, okay, you probably, it is worth it if you are looking to do this sport or just, you know, your health and fitness journey, whatever it is. I think there is a level of responsibility on your own self to do that own research um, and not completely, like if you are unsure that your coach doesn't really know what they're doing, then, you know, go ahead yourself. Oh, dog, sorry. I got distracted by the dog in the, in the Zoom. He's your coach. Hey, baby. <laughs> He's very cute. Dogs are always welcome on the podcast, as we know. <laughs> I'll see if I can get a better view. There we go. Happy. Oh, so cute. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Did you get it for a pup? Pardon? Did you get the, is it a boy or girl? It's a boy. Did you get the boy from the puppy? Thanks, Pumba. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. But yeah, I think people, I think sometimes like, like clients have to kind of do that research themselves a little bit um and even before- yeah there's definitely there's definitely a due diligence on the client and I say this all the time like people leave coaches and they are so quick to talk shit about that coach and I'm like okay if you have some kind of awareness that usually it's like you know something around oh he had me doing this crazy amount of training volume and I'm like okay but you knew it was crazy amounts of training volume and you still did it like it's that you have a due diligence here too that if you're wanting to take these drugs get an understanding of them I think even before you go to a coach like saying this is potentially the route that you want to kind of go down and explore I think there is before you even do that I think you should before that do you know watch the physique collective app videos like whatever it is like just find a credible source and do that like that work first. I think that's really, really important, regardless whether like you know you are wanting to stay natural, if you are natural um, or enhanced. Like it doesn't matter what side of the coin I guess you're on. It's you know it's doing that. I think is that awareness. I think is quite important. Yeah, I totally agree. I I do get really frustrated when uh, clients of previous coaches are so quickly to blame the coach, and I'm like, the coach wasn't your coach wasn't sitting there behind a laptop going, how can I fuck this female up? Like he thought that he was doing the right thing. Unfortunately, he didn't do his due diligence and doing all the research. But neither neither did you. He or she, because they can't. He or she. Yeah, most of, yeah. I feel like most of the bodybuilding coaches are males. It's hard to find a female body coach, bodybuilding coach. It's not, or at least most of the ones that we're aware of. Yeah, it's true. Like a lot of my um compact athletes are coaches as well. Um, mm-hmm. are most of them coaches? I think most of them are coaches. Yeah, I'm pretty sure most of them are coaches. But yeah, apart from that, I don't know. There's not like a lot, a lot. Um, so I definitely agree with that. So. I've prepped you for this, so hopefully this will go down amazing. But Darian, what makes you not just a bikini girl, babe? Apart from everything that we already know. So I was I was thinking about this, and the only thing that I could really come up with is that I think it's simply that I don't think that I'm a competing bikini girl. <laughs> um, 
I, I think like if I was introducing myself to anyone, I wouldn't say I'm a bikini competitor. I've only competed once. Um, I came last for full, full due diligence. I'd like I oh transparency. I um I came in far too lean. Um, which is like it was fair. I didn't deserve a placing, but um, it was very disappointing. Uh, but yeah, I I don't consider myself a bikini competitor. I got into this because um. It supported my lifestyle and bodybuilding has taught me so many things beyond just creating an ideal physique. It's taught me how to push hard in every aspect of my life. So if someone asks me who I am, I'm a coach. I'm an online coach and I help other people achieve their goals. Um, but I I would never kind of consider myself to be a bikini competitor. So when's until like I... this year, right? Did you compete this year? Oh. Pardon? Was it this year that you competed? Or last year? Yeah, it was. It feels like it was last year, but it was it was this year. So the, for a reference, this is 2022 that she competed. I think this is going out in 23. <laughs> I competed in April. Yeah, I competed in April. So would you, yeah. are your plans to compete again? Is that the goal? I think like right now my plans are to create a physique that I really enjoy. And then if that fits the criteria, in a certain division, I will, or federation, I will compete. Um, Joe's kind of convinced me that my next show should be in Europe or the UK. They do like that kind of leaner look. So, and we've already spoken about me coming down for a visit to film content. So if the two align. <laughs> and you like dogs. So that's a third alignment. Very important. Yeah. It's just very cold where you are. That puts me off. It's fuck. We've got heating. Yeah, we're in the twenty first century. We've got heating. We've got a sauna if you need to get warm, like a quick, like five minute warmness, and we can just layer up. We'll like we'll just put you in like a massive like umbrella of clothes. It'd be great. It'd be great fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he definitely should though. Like Dean came over obviously from um, Australia, and he like he loved it. He loved competing in the UK, and he loved the fact that like when he was turning up, no one knew who he was. So everyone was a bit like, "Who's this guy?" Like. Who is this guy? Yeah. Like, he loved the fact that no one knew who the fuck he was. <laughs> yeah, and I honestly, competing, like, prepping kind of in that colder weather would be easier. It sucks doing cardio when you feel like you're about to melt. Yeah, I can't say I don't know how that feels at all. At all. Well, do you guys use degrees or Fahrenheit? Degrees. Yeah, okay. So I woke up this morning and it was 30 degrees. It was, it's 36 degrees now, but like I can't even take Pumbo for a walk in that temperature. I have to just walk by myself, which is depressing. See, Joe, lo- like, Joe doesn't really like the heat. I love the heat though. I love mm. it. I do too. I, I, I enjoy the heat much more than the cold. I, I feel like in the cold, I just can't function. Like, I, I understand that, you know, science will say that if you move you'll get warm but I'm kind of like I'm totally against that and if it's cold I am going to cuddle myself until I warm up I feel you I feel you but yeah you can just come like just yeah just turn up like mid of the year and you'll be fine you won't be like freezing your tits off completely yeah you said May was May the warmer month um I'd say for like May onwards it gets warm like June July is probably like peak August is kind of yeah May is kind of like we're coming out. Of it. I'd say June, if you really want to be like accurate. Yeah, June, July, August is like the warm months. Well, that's when it gets cold here. So that will work out well. Perfect. Perfect. I love it. Well, what's warm for you? Is that like 10 degrees? No, to be fair, warm for me is like 
20 degrees plus I'd say okay that's livable yeah that's not bad yeah <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for this episode by the way hey I appreciate it um I, you were saying that like oh you're good at podcasts and I was like I haven't done a I don't think I've done a podcast in like four years what yeah oh I thought you'd done like loads of podcasts for some reason oh maybe maybe it was three years I used to run like a podcast but um yeah so I feel I feel really rusty but hopefully I didn't sound too stupid <laughs> well it's me I can't get my words out half the time like my editor had to edit me like most of the time I always ask him like who he edit who he edited more she's like you I was like Duh. yeah I did that too when I was running my own and I would be like um because like I was interviewing people that were smarter than me and there would be times where I asked a dumb question so I would be like hey can you just chop that bit out <laughs> so See, I, I like for me I, I like asking the dumb questions because I'm always like, there's going to be someone who's like me who's just like, what's that? Like, you don't want to be that person that nods and goes, yeah, 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 when you actually haven't got a clue. I got that feedback as well. A lot of people liked that I wasn't asking too complex questions because then people just tune out. They don't understand it. They're just going to move on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and obviously, like, because you would probably, I don't know, do you often interview people that you've never spoken to before? Um. Good question. I'd say like, it doesn't 50, seem like you do. uh 50 50. I don't know. Okay. I think there was a time where I did interview quite a lot of people that I didn't know, but a lot of times it's yeah. people that like for yourself, like we've kind of like had a passing of like a conversation, but we've not had like an actual like one-on-one conversation. That usually tends to be a thing with like the podcast episodes. Like I've seen that person in passing about five thousand times, but we've never like sat down and like chatted. So yeah. yeah. Sure. There would be, yeah, there would be times where I jump on people that I've only spoken to on Instagram or via email. And I would say a joke and they just wouldn't get the joke. And then it turned into a real awkward moment. So I'd be like, cut that bit out. <laughs> yes. I don't think, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say to my editor to edit much of this one. To be fair, I don't really have to edit much these days. It's only if, like, say for example, they've said something and then they're like, crap like they've kind of they've kind of like it's so like chill they've kind of gone oh shit I've overshared and I'm like do you want me to cut that out they're like yeah yeah or like they've name dropped when they shouldn't have name dropped yeah it's happened a few times (laughs) but it's fine it's all good oh it's that time between Christmas and New Year that I just like keep forgetting I thought it was Monday today but it's actually Tuesday yeah I don't think the days really matter when you work online true true story um yeah I, I was doing check-ins Christmas day people were like opening their presents and I'm like I'm just gonna sit here on my laptop yeah I think Joe did a couple yeah I think he did a couple in the morning and then just kind of like cracked on regardless um but yeah you want a physique collected meeting aren't you in like a few hours uh yeah as I said to Joe I was like try and make that a bit earlier because that's really late for Daria and I was like she's gonna be up like really late no, no, no. I think I'm calling him at 10 30 tonight. Oh, perfect. Well, you might see my face. Potentially. Okay. But yeah, I will see you in like a couple of hours then. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so right, much. Thank you so much.